I'm going to introduce your first, uh, your next storyteller. Uh, so, uh, Matt is uh, an ex experienced facilitator and works with hundreds of young people each year. Uh, he is the founder of Two Birds, One Bee, a youth-run relationship and sex education project which engages with students, their parents, and schools in conversations around pornography, gender, and sexuality. Uh, Matt also volunteers with Jewish Care and, and Renwick Council uh, in delivering the program Love Bites on sexual assault and relationship violence. Uh, and he said he also is studying a double bachelor degree in arts and economics and is single? I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, <laughs> all right, guys. So uh, let's make him feel very welcome. Uh, a bit louder. And welcome, Matt Friedman. Silence can seem harder to break than any substance that is known to mankind. I remember quite clearly the moment in my head that it was quiet and there are two neurons in my brain which flicked together for the first time. And the first bit was, a, was, was just the knowledge that there's a lot of free shit on the internet, if you know where to find it. And the other was porn. And that fateful moment for me was a two-sided coin. The, the first side was incredibly exciting. Right? I was 11 years old, sitting at the desktop computer in my family's living room, uh, probably late at night. And this was a moment where a curious 11-year-old felt like they could pull the curtain back on sex. Now, forget what you think you know about sex right now. Put your mind in an 11-year-old. Like, how many adverts did you pass on the way to this venue which were premised on sexual desire? How many songs did you hear in the car which mentioned sex or were driven by sex? How many films have you seen? How many TV shows? How many books have you read? How many cultural stories are about sex in a way that hints at it? And if you know what sex is, then it's not that interesting. But for an 11-year-old... It is fascinating. So this was like, sex is like the forbidden section of the library at Hogwarts, and online pornography was like the cloak of invisibility which allowed me to get there. Now the second side of this coin was that online pornography was incredibly shameful. Right? As an 11-year-old, it was full of guilt. Right? I had to get past the internet net nanny that my parents had set up. And by the way, I tell this to parents all the time, do not, do not try and fight your kids on technology because that's our home turf. I knew the password to this net nanny. Um, but I couldn't talk to my parents about it. I couldn't talk to my friends about watching online porn because I didn't, I mean, now I know, but at the time I didn't think 11-year-olds were meant to watch online pornography, or, or did. And I couldn't talk to anyone else. So it was an incredibly shameful but incredibly exciting experience, and I figured out that if I could just keep those two bits of my life separate, if I could watch porn at late at night, and I could just you know, be a, a, you know, a good kid during the day, then I'd get along fine. Which, you know, it, it happens. Like, there's a lot of alarmists in this field of work which suggest that if your kids watch porn, they're all going to become rapists. Thankfully, not the case, because statistically speaking, every second person you walk down the street regularly watches porn, right? Two-thirds of men, one-third of women in Australia. Statistically, we are the eighth highest porn consumers per capita. Australians love pornography. That does not make us rapists, and thankfully for that. And not all porn can be painted with the same brush, as we've already heard tonight. Pornography can be incredibly liberating. I've spoken to plenty of young queer um, boys and girls who, who, for the first time, they felt accepted in an online space, or in any space at all. And for, and for women, it can be incredibly empowering. So this is very much, um, it, it's a story that I, I'm, you know, I'm proud to tell, but it's also a story that is fairly common, but not entirely universal. So for me, um, so, so watching pornography um, was an education. The, first, the, the average age of first exposure to pornography in Australia, experts are saying, is 11 years old. 
average average age of first exposure. Now, I suspect that is out of date. This generation that is growing up with phones in their like hands and tablets in their lap, that age, I'm sure, is much lower. But the average age of first sexual intercourse in a heterosexual context is 17. So by the time most young people are having sex, they've potentially watched six years' worth of highly addictive internet pornography. And most young people are intelligent, right? You ask a young person, is porn real? They'll tell you porn is not real. Right? You ask them, can you pay for pizza through sex? They will say, no, you cannot pay for pizza through sex. But we also have no idea what sex is meant to look like. Right? I have to do 120 hours of driving to get my license, which means that I can play as much Mario Kart as I want, but I know what driving looks like. Right? Pornography, you know that pornography is not real, but you don't know what sex is. So the education that we're getting is forming the cultural landscape of my generation's sexuality. And that is terrifying because a lot of mainstream pornography, now there's fantastic feminist pornography, there is amazing work being done, but mainstream pornography, and if you're a non-critical eye, that's what you're watching, tells you that to be a man is to have the penis the size of a Subway sandwich. To be a woman is to be an object. To, be, uh, to have consent is, is invisible. Um, although, to be fair, that's the same message you get to Hollywood. Like the most famous Hollywood film to deal with consent is Fifty Shades of Grey. And, um, and to be sexy is to be violent. So this is the cultural landscape that sex is becoming. Um, and, and to me, that is a terrifying thing because I, I'm, I firmly believe that relationships are this lovely thing. There's a reason why it informs so much of our lives. And it's becoming informed by this very voyeuristic, very patriarchal um, uh, medium. Now, the impact that had on me is that in my early sexual relationships, I, I was incredibly uncomfortable. I didn't know why until much later when I started you know, really delving into the research behind it. But for me, I couldn't get into grips. I wanted to have a, a lovely, loving relationship that was gentle. And for me, I had to be this aggressive, um, bestial human being if I wanted to have any sort of sexy appeal. Now, luckily for me, I have done the research and I can kind of come to grips with, with the influences in my head and, and, and you know, since then I've certainly changed my expectations. But for, I think, a lot of young people, the first you hear about sort of the impacts of pornography on our, on our deep sexual lives is either if you've just been diagnosed by a doctor with um, porn-induced erectile dysfunction or if you've just come out of your fourth broken relationship and your psychologist has finally revealed that actually porn has an impact. It has a deep neurological impact. So I have an incredibly wonderful job where I can go into schools and have what for many people is their first real conversation about pornography. And I speak to young people all the time and I can see, even if the ones who are terrified of putting their hand up in class, I can see that for them this is, this is, this is new, that this space is okay to talk in. And I just wanted to share that the first, the first presentation I ever did was to a group of parents at a manual school. I was pretty terrified. Um, but afterwards I got an email from a parent saying that she just had a conversation on the way to school with her 13-year-old son and a friend of his about porn. And the relief in her email was just palpable. So I just want to leave you with this. Being a young person in the 21st century has come with a whole lot of challenges that are incredibly unique. And taboo can often be the nails, the thousands of nails in a coffin of isolation and loneliness. And silence can seem harder to break than any substance known to mankind. But compared to a conversation, it's the most fragile thing in the universe.